Nowadays, there's stuff, and there's stuff you don't need to know. A podcast that talks about geek and nerd culture and brings you the things that you want to hear about. What's up, know-it-alls? You got stuff you don't need to know. I'm Jay. Let's get down to it. So last episode, I did my top six drummers. Today, I'm going to be doing my top six bassists. So just like the last list, this top six is not really so much of ranking from least to greatest or anything like that. These are six bass players that I really connect with. I think they're great musicians. I think they're very, very talented, great performers. I love the bands. I love the music. And again, really just like any top five, top six, top 10, top 20 list, you know, it's very, very subjective. I have my favorites. I'm sure you guys have your favorites. And hopefully I introduce you to some bass players that maybe you weren't aware of. And of course, you know, as always, if you head over to Instagram, you can put in the comments some of your top bass players. And uh, like I said, probably I've heard of them. Maybe I haven't. I mean, I definitely think there's a lot of great bass players out there, but I can only do a top six, so here they are, my top six bass players. But before we get into that, I think I really should discuss why the bass is really, really important to a good band. So, you know, like I said the last time, kind of my musical background, I started playing guitar when I was young, I was kind of off and on with it, Um, recently I've picked it back up, as well as the bass. Um, I picked up the bass about a year ago, I've been teaching myself how to play it. So first of all, let me just dispel a few myths about the bass. I think one of the things um, that I hear a lot is people say, well, there's only four strings on it, how hard can it be? I can tell you from experience, and again, this is a very limited experience, that yeah, I think the bass is something that is, while it's easy to pick up, it's very, very difficult to master. And when I talk about the six people on my list, these guys most definitely are masters. But the bass is really more than that. The bass is really, really important. Because, you know, the bass and a good bass player does two things in a band. You know, it provides the rhythm and the harmony for the band. It's the pulse of a song, and it kind of ties all the notes together. So one of the things about the bass is, you know, it definitely plays at like a lower frequency, at a lower register. So a lot of times, unless, you know, the song kicks off with bass, Um, it's really actually kind of hard to hear. However, it's really not so much hearing it, it's feeling it. Um, I read up on this a little bit and just saw, you know, articles from physicists, you know, who study waveforms and sound and, and harmony and things like that, that because of the low tone, because of the low sound of the bass, the ears don't hear it really as well. But, you know, it's like I said, it's that constant pulse, it's that constant rhythm that we really connect with because, you know, while we might not hear it, we most definitely feel it. So that's why a really good bass line played by a really accomplished bassist is really, really key to a song. Um, And like I said, too, you know, it provides the harmony. It kind of ties everything together. Um, A lot of what I've read have said that it's, you know, the bass is the bridge between the drums and the guitar. And it's the foundation that a song is built off of, you know, so those really simple or complex bass lines that are out there, you know, the drum and the guitar kind of tie in and play off of it. So again, 
a really good solid bass player is very very important to a band to create that rhythm and that harmony in a song and in a band and just doing a little further reading one of the things that uh, i read and actually watched on youtube is is that a band can get away with i don't want to say a bad guitarist but with maybe a subpar guitarist the guitarist could be off a little bit especially when performing live but a bass player needs to be on if a bass player is off it really disrupts the song because again like i said it provides that rhythm and harmony and because of the low frequency of it it's the feeling that you get in a song. So if that feeling is off, the song just doesn't sound right or feel right to you. And there's a lot of videos that you could look at on YouTube that kind of compare bass and guitar, and they'll even demonstrate in a song that if, um, if the bass player is off, it really, really throws things off. But if the guitarist makes some mistakes, then, you know, yeah, you kind of hear it, but it's not as disruptive as if the bass player is off. So a good bass player is really, really hard to find, and they are more precious than gold and diamonds. So let's just get into it right now and talk about my top six bassists. And like I said the last time with my top six drummers, again, this is a very, very subjective list, and all these musicians are very, very talented. My number one bassist is, I feel, going to be my number one bass player of, you know, for everything. <laughs> Sorry. Um, but numbers six through two are very, very interchangeable. And again, I'm going to kind of put them in categories like I did in my last list. So just like I did with drummers, let's talk about the innovator. The innovator is the guy that, again, a lot of bass players would point to and say, that's my inspiration right there. You know, the guy that kind of inspired people to pick up a bass or actually made people realize just how cool and effective a bass can be. Now, I did think about it. My The first guy that came to my mind was Paul McCartney. And in all honesty, you know, kind of watching him and, and listening. Yeah, he created some amazing bass lines and, you know, also kind of helped push the bass to the forefront a bit. But when it comes really, when it really comes down to it, and you really want to talk about an excellent technical bassist, and this guy, not for nothing, appears number one on a lot of people's lists. But again, I'm kind of putting him here at number six because he's really more the innovator than anything else. And that's John Entwistle of The Who. Like I said, I think he's most definitely a better technical bassist than Paul ever was. And one of the things I think that's absolutely amazing about him is he was in a band that had some amazing musicians and an incredible lead singer in Roger Daltrey. I mean, you had the maniac drumming of Keith Moon. You just had the constant pounding of the guitar by Pete Townsend. And there's John Entwistle in the middle, again, providing that rhythm and harmony and tying everything together. Um, he's kind of known for, you know, a lot of different techniques when it comes to playing the bass. Um, he was able to use a pick, uh, he played with his fingers, and when it came to fingering the notes on the fretboard, he did uh, a technique, and I don't know if he originated it, but he definitely kind of put it out there and, you know, for people to see and try to copy. It was sort of like a typewriter approach where he, his four fingers, he would perch them over the fretboard. So, you know, by having all four fingers 
readily available to finger the notes. It kind of gave him a bit of a twangy sound. Um, it allows him to actually play several strings at once or actually use several fingers, uh, you know, two or three fingers on a single string, which would definitely change, you know, the pitch of the note. One of the things is, is listen, this guy played in The Who. The Who is known for playing very, very loud. You know, Pete Townsend, you know, lost his hearing. John Entwistle did as well. So he was one of the first bass players to really kind of crank his amps up. Um, he used a lot of distortion. And, you know, his nickname was Thunderfingers because, you know, his his plucking of the strings with his fingers and, you know, the fingering on the fretboard were just second to none. And I think a really good place to kind of hear sort of his style and, and just his ability is listen to the song My Generation, because in the middle, there actually is a bass solo in there, and it's absolutely incredible. Okay, so coming in at number five, and if you guys remember on my last list, my top six drummers list, I talked about Eric Carr and kind of saying that he was the best bassist, I'm sorry, the best drummer in KISS. So... Coming in at number five, I'm going to talk about a bass player for a band that had multiple bass players in it, and that band is Metallica. Now, unlike Kiss, I'm a big Metallica fan. Really more specifically, their early work, pretty much up till, I would say, and Justice for All. After that, they kind of started to lose me. St. Anger was put out, which I think was appropriately named because I got very angry with it. But I will say that I think recently they have kind of gotten back to their traditional sound. Now, like I said, they have gone through a lot of bass players. Uh, there was Jason Newstead, who, you know, was kind of there for their rise in popularity. Right now they have Robert Trujillo. And these two guys are amazing bass players. Um, they play loud and they played very, very hard. But I think it's their original bassist, Cliff Burton, to me, is the best Metallica bassist. And he is number five on my list. All know Cliff Burton over here. Everyone, hi Cliff, how you doing? So the reason that I'm picking Cliff is I think, you know, like a lot of guys on this list, he's an incredibly technical bassist. I mean, his skill is second to none. Um, again, trying to learn the bass and looking at tab notes and everything and kind of seeing the bass lines for the early Metallica songs. This is something I'm probably not going to tackle for quite some time. I mean, it is very, very complex. So like I said, a really, really good bass player is kind of the glue that holds the band together. They provide that rhythm and harmony, you know, that the drums and the guitar have to play off of. And in a band like Metallica, which was, you know, they essentially, especially in their early days, were thrash metal. There were a lot of inconsistent rhythms that were going around there between the drums and the guitar. And that solid bass playing of Cliff Burton was what really, really kept it together. Um, you know, he was really able to kind of support that harmony and just really create masterpieces with that bass. 
one of the things that he's really, really noted for is that he introduced the use of guitar techniques, you know, techniques such as bends, hammer-ons, and tapping into his bass player, into his bass. So bass playing actually sounded, he sounded more like a lead guitarist than really a bass player at all. Um, you know, he would shred. He would actually shred on the bass, which is not something that you really, really heard. And it kind of set the bar for bass players in metal bands, especially speed metal and thrash metal, letting them know that you guys aren't in the background. There's a lot. You have a lot of versatility. Um, you have a lot of improvisation that you can do with the bass. And Cliff Burton definitely, definitely brought that out. And it's just amazing what he could do. You know, if you hear the song For Whom the Bell Tolls, that's actually Cliff Burton on bass starting it off. That's, that's not, you know... That, that's not Kirk Hammett, you know, shredding on the guitar. That is actually Cliff Burton shredding on his bass. And this is why he comes in at number five. Okay, so coming in at number four is a bass player that a lot of people might not know of unless you really know this band. So the band Living Color came out in the late 80s and they were pretty much around, like I said, from the late 80s into the early 90s. And to say this band was unique is really an understatement. They combined a lot of different genres, you know, hard rock, heavy metal, funk, jazz, reggae. I mean, their songs just had it all and it was really an eclectic mix. So you're going to really need a skilled bassist to kind of tie all that together. Now, Living Color had two bass players. Um, the second bass player for them is a guy by the name of Doug Wabash, who is an amazing bassist. He was a session bassist for quite some time. He's played with numerous acts. And a lot of people that you know, know bass players will say that he is an incredibly technical person. But I think that their original bassist, Muzz Skillings, is definitely the better bassist. <laughs> Again, not by much. I think Doug Wabash is probably a better technical bassist than Muzz, slightly better. But I think it was, you know, his his ability to really kind of combine a few different styles more effectively is why I give the edge to Muzz Scalings. Because again, especially in the beginning, you know, when Muzz left the band, you could hear a change in their music. And Muzz, you know, along with Vernon Reed, did write a lot of the songs, so his influence was definitely there. Their early recordings definitely had a bit more funk to it and, and a bit more versatility in the bass lines. And I think one of the other reasons, too, is, is that, um, and I think he's the only one on this list that does this consistently, Muskillings actually played a fretless bass. So, you know, a bass without frets, um, because the frets really kind of help space out the notes or really kind of help give a sound to the notes so without those frets there it allows the bass player to do a, excuse me to do a few different things they don't have to apply as much pressure to the strings so they can actually play longer and you know have better endurance but they're not really limited by the frets so they could kind of find that note and then kind of find some micro octaves within that note. So it really allows them to be very, very creative. And I think Muzz was very, very creative. Again, looking at some of the, the tab notes for uh, Living Color songs, I mean, this is very, very complex bass playing. Not to mention, too, you know, just watching them in videos, watching them on like Saturday Night Live, on Arsenio Hall, and even watching concert footage, 
Muzz just had a really, really good time out there. Um, you know, he was a really kind of happy-go-lucky guy. He really dug the music. And, you know, he was he was a pretty good backup singer. And like I said, he helped write or co-write a lot of the songs. And like I said, when he left the band, definitely hear a change in the music, a little bit less funk. And I, I, I don't know if that's the reason why they kind of faded out. Um, I, I don't think that's the only reason. But, I mean... After Muskillings left, yeah, I really didn't listen to a lot of uh, Living Color. If you definitely want to hear what Muskillings sounds like, I highly recommend listening to Glamour Boys. Um, you know, you hear that funky bass playing in the back, and it's really kind of what this guy is known for. Alrighty, so coming in at number three is a guy that, much like John Entwistle, could really be ranked a lot higher up on this list. And again, you know, for me... This is not like a definitive, like, set in stone list. I mean, these are six bass players that I really, really appreciate. There's really no magical order here, although I will say that whoever I picked as number one, I feel to me is the best bass player out there. But this guy comes pretty close, and that's Getty Lee of Rush. <laughs> I mean, a lot of people will say that Getty Lee is probably one of the best technical bassists out there. He's a virtuoso. Um, he uses a lot of different techniques, and he's always looking to improve himself. One of the things about Rush, and I talked about this in um, my drumming podcast when I had Neil Peart as my number one drummer, I mean, they were looking to really duplicate what they did in the studio on stage. They wanted their fans to have, you know, they enjoy the albums. They love the albums. We want them to have that same experience on stage. I mean, Getty Lee is not just a bass player for Rush. Um, he's also the lead singer. He's also a keyboardist. And a lot of times, you know, it's just those three guys out there or, well, with Neil Peart passing away. But prior to that, it was just those three guys out there on stage. They didn't have any filler musicians or anything. So if there was a song that called for keyboards, Getty would handle it. He would play keyboards with one hand. He would pluck away on his bass with the other while singing. I mean, this guy is just a masterclass and a musician. And because Rush was a three-piece band, it really allowed Getty a lot of room, you know, because again, he's going to be that harmony between, you know, Alex on guitar and Neil on drums. So he had a lot of room to work within. A couple of comments that I did see on him is that they say that he's a very, very big bass player because, you know, he had all that room to fill in in a three-piece band. And, you know, if he was in a band with maybe a rhythm guitarist, um, you know, a couple other instruments that maybe his bass playing style would be a bit too much, a bit overpowering. But for a three-piece unit like Rush, it's absolutely perfect. There's a lot of great examples out there of what Getty Lee can do on the bass, but I would highly recommend listening to YYZ and you you will just hear him pounding away on that bass and you will know why he is on that list. All right, coming in at number two, this is the guy that back in the day when I saw this group and I saw this individual, this was the reason why I first kind of considered picking up a bass because not for nothing, a lot of people will say that when this guy plays, it's pretty simple rhythms and, you know, nothing too crazy on the bass, but there's no denying that he made the bass look cool and that is Lemmy from Motorhead. I 
first of all, let's just talk about Lemmy in general. I mean, the mutton chops, the microphone set all the way up so his neck is craning so he could sing, that gravelly voice, and the fact that he's just, you know, I mean, Lemmy is God. I mean, that's just how it is. Who'd win in a wrestling match, Lemmy or God? Lemmy. God. Wrong, dickhead. Trick question. Lemmy is God. Um... He just made bass playing look cool to me, and I think, you know, to a lot of other bass players out there. And again, you know, unlike a lot of the other guys on this list, I mean, is he a skilled bass player? Yes, absolutely. Um, but it was really the fact that he didn't really do anything too, too crazy. Um, you know, he actually, you know, he played loud, he played fast, and he actually played more like a rhythm guitarist than a bass player. Um, you know, instead of really hitting individual notes, you know, his bass lines were mostly power chords. You know, if you actually look at, and I've looked at some of the tabs, I mean, they're not that complex to play, but once you play them and you hear them, I mean, there's nothing but raw power and speed in them. And it's really what drives a song. Again, talking about why a bass is so important to a group and so important to a song, it's that rhythm. It's that pulse of the song. It's, it's, it's what you feel in the song. And when you listen to these bass lines alone and you hear them and you feel them, you'll see why, you know, Lemmy was just so cool. And Lemmy's definitely deserves to be on this list. And I mean, it's really no surprise if you want to hear a great example of Lemmy in action, just listen to Ace of Spades. All right. Well, we're here. We're at number one. And like I said, a lot of the guys on this list are very, very interchangeable. Some of them like Geddy Lee and John Entwistle definitely could take the top spot. But to me, the guy that comes in at number one is the best bass player of all time. And I mean, when you see that in his heyday from the 90s to the early 2000s, he was asked to collaborate with just about everyone. I mean, he was asked to collaborate with Alanis Morissette, uh, with Johnny Cash, with Young MC. If you haven't figured it out by now, I'm talking about Flea from the Red Hot Chili Peppers. I mean, listening to this guy play bass and the bass lines that he does, it's just, you know, frantic magic. I think that's the best way to describe it. Um, you know, he started out pretty much playing punk um, and he played a very unique style of punk bass, which was slapping. I mean, now slapping, slapping the bass, you know, has... Um, you play an instrument? Yeah. I can't believe I've never told you I play bass. Really? Oh, yeah. I slapped the bass big time. What do you... What is that? You sound like a leprechaun. No, what that's that? a reggae guy. Oh. I just did reggae. It doesn't sound... It doesn't sound reggae? No. Slap the bass. No. Um, you know, slapping the bass is a technique that's definitely been around, but when you apply it to punk music, uh, you know, at the high energy, you know, power and speed, it definitely takes on a different sound than traditional like reggae slapping a bass or you know rock or jazz slapping a bass in punk 
bass slapping definitely takes on, you know, a different sound and a different kind of technique. Um, because of that, because he played it so fast and so hard, it actually gave it a percussive and heavy tone. Um, the thing is, is with the Red Hot Chili Peppers, you know, and Flea's been around, he was a founding member, he's still with them today. They actually, as they grew and matured, their sound actually grew and matured, which led to Flea growing and maturing. I think, I think it was like sometime in the early 2000s, 2005, 2007, he actually went back to school. I think he went to UCLA or one of the California universities to study music theory. And I think he actually got his doctorate there. I'll have to look that up later, but he definitely wanted to improve himself, which is, you know, you just got to give him credit for that. But like I said, as the chili peppers began to refine their sound, you know, he, he stretches boundaries of, you know, his bass playing ability and how a bass uh, player creates harmonies within a song. Um, if you hear some of their later albums, they actually take a very, very minimalist approach in guitar and drums. So Flea actually had to extend his bass line, you know, and fill it in. I mean, by minimizing the guitar, by minimizing the drum, you know, the, the chords and, and, and the melodies that they were playing, Flea actually had to create a wider, more variable type of harmony with his bass. And you really, really hear it in a lot of their later songs. You know, he's he's just definitely, like I said, he's very, very skilled. He's a great technical bassist. A lot of people would look at him and think, you know, he's just a maniac, you know, with what he says and what he does. But he's he's got a lot of know-how. He knows how to play the bass. He knows where those bass lines need to be, how to fill in songs. And, I mean, when you hear the earlier albums and his high-energy, high-frantic bass slapping, I mean, it's it's really second to none. There's a lot of great examples out there, but I think if you really want to get an idea of what Flea sounds like, listen to Around the World, much like For Whom the Bell Tolls with um, with Cliff Burton. I mean, a lot of people didn't realize that For Whom the Bell Tolls starts off with a bass and Around the World also starts off with Flea on bass. And it's absolutely amazing to hear. And once you hear that, you'll realize why this guy is number one on the list. So I definitely want to thank everybody for listening. And there's one thing that I do want to mention. Um, after hearing this list, I'm sure a lot of people are going to say, hey, what happened to Les Claypool? Why wasn't Les Claypool on your list? Les Claypool, of course, is the bassist of Primus. And the reason that he's not on this list is... You know, I did see him pop on, pop up on just about every list out there for great bass players. And, you know, just hearing his very unique bass lines and the very, very complex, very, very technical, the guy is skilled. There's no doubt about it. But one of the reasons I didn't put him on this list is I really don't listen to Primus. <laughs> um, you know, I'm just, you know, I tried listening to it. I'm not really a fan of it. If you are, that's great. I mean, it's, it's again, Les Claypool is an amazing bass player. And should he be on this list? Yeah, I absolutely think he should. I just don't know enough about him. And I haven't really heard a lot of his stuff outside of the examples I've seen on lists and, and videos and top 10 videos and things. But I just definitely wanted to mention him there because, you know, while I don't know a lot about him and I don't listen to a lot of Primus, I mean, the guy's absolutely amazing. And he, you know, I'm sure on every other top 10 list, top five list, top 20 list, whatever, Les Claypool would be there. Guys, thanks for listening. Do me a favor. Head on over to Instagram. Stuff you don't need to know is there. I post pictures about the content that I talk about. Know it all. Thanks for listening. And I'll talk to you guys later. Tell you remember when you were young and you wanted to set the